0: I was drinking to excess. I was looking at pornography. This outer image of what looked great was really just a mask of a man who was hurting and broken. But one night I shared a video. I had been rekindling this faith. It wasn't solid. It wasn't firm. It wasn't on fire for Jesus, but it was just a a leap of faith. I said, things God's carried me through. And I pointed at these little boxes and one box said foster care. One said divorce. One said prison. That night I had about 200 followers. The next morning, and I woke up with over 15,000. There was one message that completely blew my mind and changed the trajectory of my life. I was reading the messages and one of the messages said, Andrew, loved your video. I've been to prison, I've been divorced, I've been to foster care. He goes, last night I was gonna kill myself, but seeing your video gave me hope. If he could do it for you, he'll do it for me. And reading that, I broke down and I could feel the Holy Spirit just overwhelm me, basically saying, you have been made for a time such as this. Both of my parents uh, were drug addicts. Um, And so growing up, my mother was a prostitute. And uh, before I was born, my dad was her pimp. And so when I was born, I was born uh, addicted to illegal substances, uh, born with underdeveloped lungs, and um, born just in a situation where the cards were stacked against me from the jump. Within the first three months of my life, I heard, my mom told me, that my dad beat her up pretty bad, and uh, she fled from Oregon, where I was born, with me uh, to California to be away from my dad, had to get away from the abusive situation. And so, in California, my mom met another guy, kind of started living with him, and in doing so, she ran from her past. She wasn't honest or upfront necessarily about the way that she once lived uh, her destructive behaviors her addictions she ran from that previous life and tried to make a new life for myself and her in doing so something lied dormant inside of her there was that dark side of her that uh, would come out from time to time and it wasn't until man i would say i was nine nine or ten years old um, my, my stepdad at the time had a new brother. My stepdad and my mom, would uh, they would drink occasionally, and that drinking turned into social weed smoking and even occasional use of uh, cocaine. And what my stepdad didn't know is that by socially using those drugs, it was unlocking a dark part of my mom and a part of her past and uh, where he could stop doing something that was, um, social, uh, she couldn't. And so we lived a few years in, in somewhat of a normal family, like uh, unit. And then she went off the deep end. She went back to that lifestyle of drugs and kind of uprooted and, uh, turned over our entire family. They separated. And soon after me, my mom and my brother were living in my grandmother's house. Um, there, I witnessed her, you know, having just a revolving door of men. Uh, I witnessed her using drugs, getting drunk. She would disappear and leave us with uh, my grandmother for days on end until my grandma basically had enough of it. And again, I'm about 10 years old. And so my grandma kicked her out. My mom grabbed us and we started living in a hotel. My stepdad caught word that that's what was happening. And so he came and got his son and left me in the hotel with my mom. So my brother moved to uh, Nevada with his stepdad and then my mom was on the verge of going to jail so she put me on a greyhound bus and shipped me up to oregon to live with an uncle so 11 years old life has looked different in a lot of different pieces and places there's been a lot of uncertainty i've seen a lot of things drugs alcohol Um, i witnessed my mom getting beat up we not only lived in a hotel but we lived in a um, uh, a meth uh, a place where they cooked meth. It was like a commune, and it was uh, it was a junkyard, and in all of these different trailers, there mm. were meth. There was meth being cooked, and we lived in a lot of places. We've seen a lot of crazy stuff, and so I get shipped up to Oregon to live with my uncle, and um, he was an ex addict dealing with his own demons and his own things, and so. At this young age, I'm exposed to all of these different lifestyles, drugs, alcohol, um, sex, uh, pornography. Uh, there's not a lot of stability, and over the course of that time, I start developing these defense mechanisms. Uh, I start hardening my heart. I start protecting myself. I start getting curious about what are all these drugs? What are these? What is this alcohol? What is? What are all of these things that the adults in my life keep choosing? over me, and um, it wasn't long after, at, at the age of 12, I started experimenting with weed and drinking and stealing from the local store, stealing 40 ounces. Uh, started having sex um, all around the age of 12. A pivotal thing happened when I was 12, 11, 12, my mom actually moved to Oregon. She got out of jail or whatever, I don't even remember what consequence she was up against, but she found her way to Oregon, she followed me up, and uh, at the time, I met my dad for the very first time. I hadn't seen the guy since I was three months old, never never spoke to him, I had no idea, but he lived in the same place that my uncle did in Portland, Oregon. And so I met my dad, I met my grandfather, my grandma, my cousins, the whole black side of my family, my mom's side is white. And um, it was a culture shock to, to grow up with drugs and, uh, you know, meth kitchens and all of the craziness that the white side of my family had. And then there was like this stable portion, part uh, of my black family, minus my dad, who was still, you know, in the drug game and whatnot. Um, but I felt a lot of love from my grandparents, a lot of love from that side of the family. They all went to church for the most part. But I met my dad for the first time. And um it was an experience that Kind of forever shaped me and growing up as a, a man. Uh, my dad was 6'6", six, six, uh, an old athlete, played basketball um, in high school. It was like a local legend in the Portland area, uh, had basketball scholarships and offers, but drugs got the best of him. And so when I met him, I wasn't a very athletic kid. I never played basketball. Uh, you know, we walked down to the park and we're getting to know each other and, one thing that really stood out is we were shooting hoops, and I, I was horrible. I was dribbling the ball off my foot, I couldn't go between my legs, couldn't even make a layup uh, kind of thing. And he looked at me, and he was just like, um, man, are you even my son? Like, I'm, I'm, He was disappointed because I was nothing like him. Uh, I wasn't athletic and I was kind of clumsy, and, and that right there crushed me. I had all of these expectations of meeting this man who would you know, love me, encourage me, would be a father figure, and the first experience that I had with him was just gut-wrenching, and so that kind of paved the way for my relationship with my dad, a pretty non-existent one, but when my mom moved up shortly after, the weirdest thing happened. Her and my dad decided to get back together And I'm like, I'm 12 years old, just met my dad for the first time. He's not a really nice guy. Here comes my mom in her own phase of life, struggling with drugs, wrestling with addiction, and they decide to give it another go round. And for me, it's like mind blowing, like what even is my life right now? And the sad part about them getting back together is they picked right back up where they left off before I was born drugs addiction sex prostitution all of those things i remember a pretty powerful moment and one of the last times i saw my dad is my mom was working. She was trying to get us a place to stay. My grandparents weren't having it in their relationship. My uncle wasn't having it in their relationship. We were running out of places. We were burning bridges where we could stay. And so, my mom had a job working at a a senior living facility, and she snuck my dad and me into the basement. And the place that she was living, she was working there, um, cooking food, uh, serving the seniors, and then she would stay there. And at night, she would bring my dad and I food. We had uh, a bucket that we would use the restroom for, but um, the whole goal was to stay there for her work week until she got paid, and then we would put a down payment either on a hotel where we could stay or an apartment. So a week goes by. This week, my dad is uh, kicking drugs as well. He doesn't have access to drugs. We're in this basement. He's grumpy. He's short-tempered. We've already established that he's not the biggest fan uh, of me. And you know, at night, him and my mom are rolling around having sex in the corner. It was a uh, it was a dark time. It was like this crazy week that went by. And at the end of the week. Um, my mom got paid and she came down to let us know, you know, we could get out of the basement. And my dad took that money and said that he was going to go, uh, get a hotel and he disappeared. He, he robbed us blind. He took the money that my mom had made for that week and left us stranded. And that's the last time that I physically saw my father, uh, which was a, a pretty impactful moment. So fast forward. My life between 12 and 17 years old was drugs, alcohol, violence, fighting, um, in and out of school, I wrecked cars, I dropped out my freshman year, Um, I sold drugs, I basically mimicked the environment that I found myself in, and up to this point, I didn't go to church. Our family wasn't a believing family. Um, Drugs and alcohol were the norm. And in many cases, my mom was my plug. If I wanted weed, my mom could get it. If I wanted pills, my mom could get it. She would buy us alcohol. Uh, The house that I lived in was the party house. So people would come to my house because we could have uh, all the sex, we could drink, we could smoke, and there was no parental supervision. So that was kind of the house that I lived at, and that was my reality. Nobody told me that it was sinful. Nobody told me that it was wrong. Nobody told me that it wasn't right. Like that was the life that I was accustomed to. Over that period of time, my mom spent time in prison, uh, time in rehab. And when she would do that, I'd spend time in foster care. If it wasn't a family member, I was in a foster home. If I wasn't in a foster home, then I was living with a friend. So. Those years between 12 and 17 were somewhat of a blur because it was drug-induced, fueled by alcohol, pills, and really anything I could get my hands on. Uh, at 17 years old is when I first heard the name of Jesus. Absolutely blew my mind. And the reason why uh, I heard Jesus is I was pursuing a, a girl, and her brother was a Christian. And he said, you know, hey, if you want to date my sister, his words were something like that. If you want to date my sister, you got to be a Christian. And at 17 years old, uh, popping Molly, you know, taking acid, mushrooms, smoking weed, whatever I could get my hands on. I was like, I'll be whatever you want to date your sister. It was one of those things like, I don't care. um, I'll do whatever. So I hop in the car with him and he proceeds to share the gospel with me. He talks about Jesus, the death, burial and resurrection. He talks about spiritual warfare. I mean, he goes on and breaks down like the truth of Jesus, sin and the afterlife and how our sin grieves God and our sin separates us from God. And at 17, it blew my mind because I had never heard the gospel in that way up until this point. Jesus was about as real to me as the Easter bunny or Santa Claus. Like he was the little baby in the manger that you sing about in the assembly at school because, and that was it. So to hear Jesus presented in this manner absolutely blew my mind. And in that moment I received Jesus. I said, you know what? I, it sounds like I'm guilty of these sins that you're talking about. And I want to repent and I want to give my life to him. And so in that moment at 17 years old, I received the free gift of salvation, and started walking with Jesus. And that's not where the story ends, because you know, there, there wasn't a happy ending in this sense. After I was done receiving Jesus, I had to go back home. My environment didn't change. I didn't get into a good church. There was no discipleship. It was kind of like, hey, you said the prayer. Now you can date my sister kind of deal. Um, but the thing that changed is that sin no longer felt the same it hit different. I went back that night to smoke weed, and even as I smoked, it didn't hit the same. I started feeling paranoid. I started feeling like this dark presence coming around me, and up to this point, it's not something that I had felt before. Uh, I felt suicidal. I was like, man, I don't know why I'm doing these things and why I'm living this life, and this isn't something that I had wrestled with prior to praying this prayer. Looking back, I realized that the Holy Spirit in me could no longer sit idle and consume and do the things that I did once before without it taking an effect on me. So nothing was the same, everything changed, but I didn't know what that was. So like anybody in my shoes or like a lot of people do, I tried to smoke more to get rid of that feeling. I drank more to black out and to numb that feeling. I slept with more people because That was what I knew and I didn't understand what I was actually doing. I didn't know that I was grieving the Holy Spirit. And so um, I ended up getting that girl pregnant and eventually marrying her. And uh, I was in and out of jail. Uh, I was a troublemaker. I never healed from any of the trauma. I never took the right steps to address the issues from my childhood. Um, I look back, I, I was, Angry, and I was mean, and I was aggressive and abusive, and I I, I wasn't healed. I wasn't a whole individual, and truly, I, I was just a kid trying to figure out who I was and trying to do the right thing, based on the fact that I didn't have a dad, and so bringing a kid into this world, I didn't think that it would be, I didn't think that it would be good to just abandon a child like I was abandoned, and so. I did what I thought was right in the moment. Years passed by and added another kid to the situation. Behind the scenes, things looked good. I mean, outside, things looked good. But behind the scenes, I was broken. I was addicted to pornography. I drank to excess. I would sneak weed. I would take painkillers anytime that I could possibly get my hands on them. Um, But eventually, I found myself in a Bible-believing church Took a while between 17 and 23 it was about six years i found myself in a bible believing church and in this church it was a church planting church very militant in the way that they discipled like the goal was if you're in this church you're in ministry and we want to send you out we want to bring you in build you up and send you out and so i went from kind of a a real basic surface level of christianity to like the next level of like we're going to raise you up to be a pastor. So we were at church seven days a week. Sunday there were two services and they were different messages. We had prayer before each service. We regularly fasted. We went door to door. We had concerts in the park. We did outreach. Like it was an intensive time. And for the most part, life was good. I really got a deep sense of Jesus. I uh I spoke in the spirit. Like I, I was filled with the the Holy Ghost, man. I was like I was on fire for him. And what's crazy is that we had an evangelist come to our church and he came every year, did a seven day revival in our city. And so for those seven days, we prayed, we fasted, and we had a different service. The goal was to try to bring people in. But at the night, uh, at the end of every night, the evangelist would have a prophetic word for one person. And so the year before, this prophetic word was spoken, and I witnessed people, whoever was like that word was spoken over, I witnessed it come to fruition over the next year. So these were people in our church who were called up, a word was spoken over them, and then throughout the year, what was spoken came to fruition. So the next year, same evangelist, same guy's coming. I'm like, God, I need a word. Like, I need a word. At the time, I'm working in a factory. I'm building manufactured homes. I got two kids. You know, I'm struggling financially. Like, I'm asking God, like, can I get a, can I get some kind of a windfall? Lord, help me win the lottery. Like, something. I need something. And so the revival comes through. Every night of the week, he calls somebody up. That wasn't me. And I was starting to get a little discouraged, but on the seventh night, the last night of revival, the evangelist looks at me, calls me up, and he's like, I got a word for you. And he says, Andrew, you have words of gold. You've been called to ministry, and you're gonna speak to millions of people about Jesus. And when he said that, uh, I was terrified. That is not the word that I was looking for. I was like, you've got the wrong Andrew. I am a kid from the streets. I have no experience. I've been in this church for a little while, But at the end of the day, I don't know what it is that you want me to do. I don't know that this word is for me. And so what I allowed that to do is it discouraged me enough to where I left the church. I ended up walking away from the church about two weeks later. I went on to go to school and in school, the way that school happened, is I had a buddy who was home from Afghanistan, and he was about six eight. loved to play basketball. I loved to play as well. And he said, Andrew, I want to go to Open Gym down at this local community college. So I come down to the community college, and we're starting to shoot some hoops. And we'd go through this whole Open Gym, whole process. And at the end of the Open Gym, a coach comes over and he asks me, what classes are you taking next year? And I looked at him like I'm not going to school. Like I work in a factory. I'm just here for open gym. And he said, "If you come to school, I want to help pay for your schooling." And for me, like that was the prophetic word that I was looking for. This is about a week after this evangelist came to town, so I was jacked up. I was excited. I was, uh, I, you know, I've, nobody in my family's gone to college. Nobody's even like flirted with the idea. This is what I was looking for. The opportunity that I needed. And so I go back to my pastor in my church and say, "Hey." I got an opportunity to go back to school and play college basketball. And my pastor was like, that's not for you. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I work in a factory right now. I'm struggling to make ends meet. This could change my life. And he said, look, if you go back to school, it's probably going to end in a divorce. And I was like, why would you say something like that to me? Like, this is a great opportunity. And he warned me. He stood firm. He wasn't going to waver. Like I said, about two weeks after that, packed up and left. I ended up going to school. I ended up playing basketball, earned two college degrees, one in health promotion, education and public health. Um, And then I I played sports. I did everything that I thought I could do and set out to do. I started to achieve. I started to rack up the awards and the accolades and the achievements. And um, yeah, I would say from the outsider looking in, life was good. I had the wife, I had the kids, I had the degree, I had the job, I started a business. But what a lot of people don't know is that that Instagram uh, filtered, kind of curated image of what people saw Couldn't have been further from the truth. Behind the scenes, I was addicted to over-the-counter prescription drugs, both downers and uppers. I was taking Adderall to study and get through school, and then I was taking the downers because I was overtraining. And I was overtraining because I was addicted to performance-enhancing drugs. I was taking steroids. I was working out three to four times a day. I was drinking to excess. I was looking at pornography. This outer image of what looked great was really just a mask of a man who was hurting and broken, really uh, a kid who never got the healing, who never really understood who he was, constantly looking for validation, acceptance, uh, hoping that somebody would notice him because of uh, his achievements, uh, his awards, right? That's how you get recognized, that's how you get accepted is what I thought. And so my choices and my decisions ended up winding me up in prison so school college you know accolades achievements awards all of these things but deep down broken ended me up in prison Uh, i spent 18 months in prison and in prison you would think that that would humble me or maybe bring me back to god but not even that brought me back to god in fact in prison i was mad i was upset and my heart was hardened towards God. And Andrew, how did you get to prison? So, I got I went to prison because we had a 2-year anniversary at my gym, the gym that I owned. I started this business. And at the gym party, there was a, an altercation that took place and I struck somebody in the head with a wine bottle after they called me the N-word. So, I basically went to prison for 18 months, and it wasn't 18 months of seeking God or knowing the Lord. It wasn't me being repentant of my actions. I was prideful Uh, the whole time. I felt like I was the victim. I felt like I was wronged. Everything that the world told me would make me happy uh, did the exact opposite. The money, the fame, the accolades, the achievements, the house, the car, all of those things did nothing to keep me from going to the place that I wanted. I didn't want to go there. My parents had been there. I was trying to break the mold. I was trying to break the chains. I was trying to be something that they never could be. And I still ended up in the exact same place. So for me in prison, I was like, I don't want anything to do with God. Why would He put me in this position? Why would He put me in this place? If He loves me, then why am I here? Why would He do these things? And so for 18 months, I read books, I worked out, I slept, I, uh, I, I journaled, I did some inner healing, I did some writing, um, I did a lot of journaling. I wrote letters to my mom and to my dad. I really addressed some of the demons that were taking place inside of me, but not the spiritual aspect. So I did some emotional healing. I did some childhood trauma healing, things like that. When I got out of prison, I went back to I went to counseling and started working on some of those things. And for the first year out of prison, even then, I refused to go back to God. There was like this hardness of heart.
1: Uh, and 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 just curiosity here, what was uh. Well, what was happening with your wife as as you go to prison and she's seeing all of these things happen what How was that relationship yeah
0: so our our marriage didn't last, so during the eighteen months uh we grew apart we um me being gone and her having to carry the load and the burden of running a business and taking care of our kids, we completely grew apart and so when I got home from prison, we got a divorce
1: so the it's like the prophetic word was yeah. accurate
0: yeah yeah looking back the prophetic word and the warning that i received from that pastor was spot on it it was absolutely spot on it ended me up right where i didn't want to be and did the exact opposite of what i wanted to achieve yeah so after i got out of prison i spent the first year just trying to recoup trying to recover uh, everything that i lost i was trying to get back on my feet and in doing so I mean, I hurt a lot of people. I was stepping all over people. There wasn't a lot of humility. There wasn't uh, a lot of gentleness. I was prideful. I felt like the world owed me something. And it wasn't until that initial year, that first year after it had come and gone, I decided to go back to church at the the leading of a couple of people. People kept telling me they were praying for me. They kept mentioning that um, you know I, I should I should pray about things and. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past the feeling that God was trying to get a hold of me. And so I started going back to church occasionally. And again, my life looked nothing like a life of following Jesus. Um, I was still smoking weed occasionally, I was drinking, I was sleeping around, but I would find myself in church, kind of sitting there listening. And then I'd walk out and go right back to what it was that I was doing. And this cycle continued for several months. And it wasn't until uh, a video that I had went viral. That's what really like set things in motion for me to fully surrender and get my life back to Jesus. And so uh, at this time, I get my kids every other weekend. We live in the same city, and my kids are there. And they keep telling me about TikTok. They're like, "Dad, you know you like to be on social media because I was building an online training program." And they kept saying, "Dad, you got to get TikTok. You got to get TikTok." And so. I had TikTok, I recorded some videos, put a few out with me and the kids, did some fitness things, it never really took off. But one night uh, at the end of 2019, I shared a video And it was for the very first time, me being honest and open about my faith. I had been rekindling this faith. It wasn't solid, it wasn't firm, it wasn't on fire for Jesus, but it was just a leap of faith. Like, you know what, I'm gonna share this. And what I did is I shared a video and it said things God's carried me through. And I pointed at these little boxes and one box said foster care, one said divorce, one said prison, and I don't know what order they're in and uh, something to that effect. And then the other one is every other daily struggle. Things like that, like God has carried me through these things and everything else. I posted the video Uh, that night. I had about 200 followers. The next morning, I woke up with over 15,000. And in that moment, I started to realize, like, wow, me sharing about my faith has power. They don't care about me dancing. They don't care about me and my dog and the kids. They don't care about me working out, but me sharing my faith had a profound impact on people's lives. And so I'm reading the comments and people are just saying, amen, that spoke to me, like um, I needed to see this. And I was like, wow, because in the business of health and fitness, you're trying to help people. You're trying to help people get physical results. But in this case, I witnessed something where I didn't even say one word impact people's lives on an emotional and spiritual level. There was one message that completely blew my mind and changed the trajectory of my life from that day forward. I was reading the messages and one of the messages said, Andrew, loved your video. Um, I've been to prison. I've been divorced. I've been to foster care. He goes, last night, I was going to kill myself. I was going to take my life. But seeing your video and you saying that God carries you through that gave me hope. And if he could do it for you, he'll do it for me. And I decided not to kill myself. And reading that message, I started to weep. I broke down and I could feel the Holy Spirit just overwhelm me, basically saying, you have been made for a time such as this, and this will be the vehicle to bring that prophetic word to fruition. And so from that moment forward, I wish I could say I just, I threw out all my pipes and cleaned my life up and started following Jesus, but it was a a really sharp, turn in the road. It was a point where I said, you know what? I need to do better, I need to get back on track with the Lord, and I need to surrender and submit to what it is that He has for me. And so over the next several months, there was a process of sanctification, auditing my life, uh, pruning my life, getting rid of some bad habits, cutting things out, uh, cutting ties with certain relationships and associations. But over the next six, seven, eight months, my life radically changed. And I went from primarily doing uh, content for phys, you know, physical fitness and health, to now I'm sharing a prayer, or I'm sharing a Bible verse, or I'm sharing, you know, a thought of the day. And I, I can look back and see how my content was now Holy Spirit inspired, I was sharing Uh, openly and honestly and transparently, and I was using the pain and the things that I've gone through to now inspire, encourage, and help people. And so over the next few months, I also met my current wife uh, online. She lived in a completely different state. She lived in California while I was still in Oregon, and we started to talk. And immediately I met this woman and knew uh, just about how amazing she was, that she was Christ-minded, that she had a vision, and most importantly, She didn't look at my past as something to be afraid of. She looked at it as more of a platform and an opportunity for me to speak into people's lives who have gone through the same things. So she gave me hope and encouragement where other people saw what I've been through as things that would disqualify me or make me um, kind of a walking red flag, and I don't blame them, Uh, she saw as more of an opportunity and started to speak life into me and vision into me and started really being a conduit for God uh, to to relay the message of like, no, you've been chosen, you've been called. God wants to use you and your story to change people's lives. And so she was a motivating factor. Uh, Within a year, we got married. And immediately started a nonprofit. I moved to California to be closer to her. Uh, we started a nonprofit where we were working with the unhoused here in Los Angeles. Within six months of starting that nonprofit, we got not only a prophetic word, but confirmation after confirmation on both sides that we should plant a church in Inglewood, California. And so you have this guy who was in church over a decade ago, uh, chasing after God didn't get what he wanted, completely took a left turn and walked away from all that God was trying to do. I took a long way around failure, mistake, missed the mark, dropped the ball, completely dropped the bottom out of my life through my own choices and decisions. And on the other side of that, God picking me up, redeeming me, probably the most unqualified, probably the, 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 the one who doesn't have the education to do what I'm doing, who doesn't have the experience, who doesn't have even the backing necessarily, but God is able to use a broken individual like me to do exactly what he called me to do. And so we planted our church in 2021, and today that prophetic word is in full rotation. Um, Words of gold, meaning the words that I speak have been put on paper and have released a book, a couple of books, uh, the speaking to millions of people, uh, about Jesus has been answered with the millions of followers that we have on TikTok, YouTube and Instagram. So every day I speak to millions of people about Jesus and called to ministry. Uh we just celebrated our 2 year anniversary of a church plant in Inglewood, California that is thriving alive and growing. So yeah. I, <laughs> that's that's kind of it.
1: Andrew, what's, what's your relationship now um with your with your mom and I know you mentioned that you never got to see your dad again after that incident. But Mm -hmm. today, where, what has God done in that relationship? Where is that at? Yeah,
0: yeah, so my dad, I I spoke to my dad maybe a couple more times on the phone, once for my 15th birthday, and then I think once again at 27, uh, I got a random call. he said that he was going to drive up and come see us. I gave him our address. He sent me a hundred bucks, and that was the last I've heard of him. So that's been another ten years. But my mom right now just celebrated over five years clean and sober. Um, she gave her life to Jesus. She is an amazing woman, and I don't hold any grudges. Uh, I'm not mad. Like I am the man that I am because of my mom, and uh, and I'm better for it. You know, she did the absolute best that she could with what she had and i could sit here and tell you her story which is far far uh crazier than mine but the things that she experienced at a young age pushed this young girl into the arms of drugs and alcohol and sex work in order to survive uh in order to numb the pain of the trauma that she personally experienced and so i look at my mom with so much empathy and compassion and love as a woman who did everything she could to provide a life for her sons. And even when it it came at her own expense, but um, she is probably one of the most selfless and caring people that I've ever met. And she might not have been the greatest mom, but she's an amazing grandma to my three kids. And so uh, I love her dearly. And I see her every month uh, when I go and visit, and I probably talk to her two or three times a week.
1: Come on. Uh, Did you ever get a chance to reconnect with Uh, that church that gave you those prophetic words and that spoke into your life and obviously you ended up running from it, but did that ever happen?
0: No, you know, I've stayed connected with them in the sense that, uh, some of his the, the pastor had 10 kids at the time and he ended up having several more after. But I've stayed connected with some of the kids who were probably a little closer to my age through social media. And then the weird thing is that my oldest son recently within the last year went back to that church a handful of times and got reconnected with them. But um I personally have not had a chance to to reconnect.
1: Now, Andrew, you talked uh, in that moment when you essentially went and did your own thing, you talked about the the healing that you still needed. You know, um, How has Jesus helped you heal those wounds, all of that trauma and all of the things that you've seen as a child and experienced even in your teenage years? How has Jesus helped you heal from those things? Yeah, Jesus has
0: helped me to see the purpose in the pain. I realize that God was with me through every experience, through the foster care, through the exposure to drugs, through the abuse, all of those things, God was with me. And the beauty of what Jesus does is He takes those hard moments and now uses me to speak into those. So I've been to prison well, now we have a ministry and work with God behind bars. Uh, I've been divorced, so God uses my failure and mistakes in that to have a thriving marriage ministry. Being in foster care, which was a painful moment and time in my life, we've now connected with uh, the foster care system and now do uh, collaborations and work with them during the holiday season. So, Jesus helped me to see that nothing's wasted and that what the enemy meant for evil, he's able to turn and use for good. So, those things don't define me. They're not who I am. Uh, But but He's given me a true identity. He's he's allowed me to know who I am, that I'm loved, that even though my parents didn't love me, they didn't care about me, they might have discarded me or abandoned me for drugs, alcohol, and whatnot. Um, He never did. And so I know that I'm so loved, I'm so cared about, even when my circumstances weren't ideal, He never walked away from me. Andrew, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, He's the Savior of my soul and the Lord of my life. He is my everything. He is the air that I breathe. He is the living water that I drink. Uh, he is the reason that I exist.
1: And Andrew, for anybody who is connecting with your testimony right now that has experienced some of those some things that you're testifying about, could you give a word of encouragement to those who are watching and maybe don't know how to get over the past or don't know how to find true healing and freedom, could you just give them a word of encouragement as they're watching right now? Uh,
0: For somebody who's connecting with what it is that I'm sharing, I would just say that you are not your past, that your past and your sin is thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. It is as far as the East is from the West. God doesn't see you as your failures, mistakes, and the times where you miss the mark but he sees you as the perfection and righteousness of his son Jesus. Don't allow man to disqualify you because God doesn't see you the same way that man sees you. He sees through the mess. He sees through the muck and the mire. He sees through all of the things that you've gone through. He sees you as you truly are. So I've allowed the opinions of others to disqualify me, to maybe uh, discourage me. I've allowed what other people think about me, my past, and the things that I've been through to either keep me quiet or keep me from stepping out in faith. But I, I just want you to know that he loves you. He sees you. He hears you. And he wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you come as you are you don't have to get yourself cleaned up and fixed before you come to him
1: come to him as you are and Andrew can you pray for those who are saying you know what I I want this I want Jesus in my life could you just pray over them as they're watching right now
0: absolutely so Heavenly Father I just want to lift up my brother or sister on the other side of this screen whoever's watching this whoever's under the sound of my voice Lord, as they are receiving this word, God, I pray that you would comfort them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in their heart. God, I'm praying for open ears and open eyes, softened hearts. Lord, we lift them up in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of the blood. God, I ask that you would overwhelm them with your love and mercy and grace, that they would see themselves as you see them. God, I pray that the attacks of the enemy, the weapons are forming, but we stand on the truth that they will not prosper. I pray for identity. I pray for value and worth in the life of my brother or sister. I pray that they would leave this moment knowing who they are, knowing whose they are, that they are the righteousness and the perfection of Christ Jesus, meaning that they have been washed clean from their sins once and for all. I pray God that they would they would uh, they would attach themselves to you, that they would anchor themselves to you. I pray that your word that does not return void would plant seeds in their heart that would bear fruit in your perfect timing. God, we are grateful for your truth. and I pray that my brother or sister would stand on it, that they would run to it and that you would be just as real to them as you have been to me, God. Reveal yourself to them in ways that surpass their understanding and have your way in their life.
1: In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Andrew, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now?
0: Yeah, if I had any last words for anybody watching this is that you have a story too. Your story is important. The power of our testimony is something that cannot be taken away. People can refute science. They can refute the translations of the Bible. You can hear all of the excuses of why Jesus might not be real. But what you can't do is deny what Jesus did in my life and is doing in yours. Use your testimony. Use your story. It is impactful. You want to impact the people in your sphere of influence. You want to encourage people who you come into contact with. You might not know where to start in the Bible. You might not know the address of the scripture or how to even present the gospel, but start with telling people where you were, what Jesus did, and where you're at now.
1: Hey everybody, I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.